Real stories, reliable information, the latest technology and news. Welcome to the Plastic Surgery Hub podcast, connecting people with practitioners. Hey listeners, well I'm here today and um, I've got the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Andrew Broadhurst. And Dr. Broadhurst is based in Brisbane at Newstead and he is the Director of um, Enhanced Plastic Surgery. So welcome Dr. Broadhurst. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for taking the time out of your busy day. I know how busy you guys get. Um, so today we're going to just um, talk about breast augmentation with the new um, next-gen nano-surfaced implants, which are the Mativa implants, which I know that you um, enjoy using. Um, but before we go on about them, so tell us, what's your um, surgical, like what are your surgical specialties and, and that, that, what's the things that you love doing and what you're great at? <laughs> All right, I hope I can answer that for you. Um, my practice now is pretty much devoted to just breast surgery and rhinoplasty. Um, earlier in my career, I did a, a range of plastic surgery. Uh, I worked at the Children's Hospital uh, here in Brisbane for 10 years, doing predominantly cleft lip and palate surgery. Uh, and over time, I suppose my practice has evolved and now it's pretty much, um, I suppose, 50% breast surgery and 50% rhinoplasty. Um, and breast surgery, that really includes uh, breast augmentation, breast augmentation with mastopexy, uh, uh, breast reduction. It doesn't, I don't really do any uh, reconstructive breast surgery. Okay, so pretty much you're, you just do the aesthetic breast surgery, the implants, the um, lifts and reductions. That is correct. Oh, and, and rhinos. And rhinoplasty. I really okay. enjoy rhinoplasty, and uh, they're really quite different types of surgery. Um, which is maybe why I enjoy doing both of them. Um, I suppose rhinoplasty, a lot more attention to, you know, very fine detail. Um, and it's a, I suppose it's a longer operation, a bit more technical perhaps than, uh, than breast surgery. But, um, yeah, I, I like doing both. Yeah, well, that's good. Give, yeah, it gives that bit of variety. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So I know that um, when people have, breast augmentation there's all this stuff in the media lately as well of uh, um you know likely complications and 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 all that sort of thing so what i was going to ask you is what are the main likely complications with anyone having a breast augment and and how can these complications be risk controlled or minimized oh, that's a very good question and difficult to answer in a very short period of time um, but i can give you a, i suppose a quick overview um i suppose in any Anytime you have a surgical procedure and you have an anaesthetic of some form, um, there can be complications related to the anaesthetic. And you know, for the sake of today, I think we can just leave those out of it uh, because they're the same for any operation that you might have. Uh, specifically, as far as let's limit ourselves to, to breast implants, um, uh, breast surgery goes. Um, technically, we divide these up into complications that can happen early on in the piece and then those that can happen later down the track. Uh, in, in terms of the early complications, I suppose the, the one that bothers us the most, um, but is really pretty uncommon, is uh, hematoma. Hematoma is just a collection of blood around the implant, uh, usually presents with a lot of swelling around the implant and discomfort, typically in the first 24 to 48 hours after, after surgery. And um, in the majority of cases, that needs in a second operation to um, evacuate the blood. Usually, it's stopped bleeding by that stage. Evacuate, evacuate the blood. You can implant can stay in, and it's really just an inconvenience as opposed to you know 
having any significant impact on, on the outcome of the procedure. Um, further down the track, you can get something called a seroma, which is just, a, again, collection of fluid, but not blood around the implant, uh, which can be a little bit problematic. Further down the track, um, something called capsular contracture, um, which really is associated with any implantable device and the risk of it, I think, vary a little bit depending on which device you're using, what technique you use to insert the device. Um, but as yet, we have not come across a device that is immune to capsular contracture. And capsular contracture really just presents as firmness of, of the breast. Um, as it becomes more advanced, uh, the actual shape of the breast can, come, uh, can become distorted and then finally can actually become quite painful. Yeah, right. Yeah, seen all of those um, situations come through, you know, on our groups and on our that, and it's, it's not fun when something goes wrong, that's for sure. No, so I, I suppose in, in, in terms of completeness, are there more, I suppose, risks or are there more complications? Absolutely there are. But those are by far the most common ones we see. Um, the other one that I suppose is topical at the moment um, is something called anaplastic large cell lymphoma. And um, that is a very rare condition. Um, everybody's heard about it in the plastic surgery world, but um, the majority of us actually have never seen anyone with anaplastic large cell lymphoma. Uh, and I'm in that category of uh we're suspicious and we obviously investigate people for that um but i've never actually seen a, a case myself um but again it presents with a a swelling or a volume of fluid around the around the the implant and um when tested that fluid contains what we call lymphoma cells um which is is a type of um, uh, blood-borne cancer, if you like, um, but in the vast majority of cases, it's contained within the fluid around the implant, and the treatment is to remove the implant, remove the fluid and the capsule that the body has made around the implant, and um, and that's curative in the vast majority of people. Yeah, well, on that, um, you know, that that ALCL and lymphoma type of. Um risk what what can be done to help to minimize or reduce the risk like by by, um, by you as a doctor and and i don't know about by the patient but like can we have a better starting point i think the answer to that is yes um there as with all things in medicine you know our, our knowledge increases over time and this is i suppose only been reasonably recently as in the last couple of years recognized you know, as an as an entity um so our, our knowledge about it is is it's good but it's not as complete as it will be um with more research but um as far as we know the condition has never been reported in people who only have used smooth shelled or smooth surfaced implants so um i suppose we divide the implant surfaces up into what we call textured surfaces and there's a whole range of different types of implants and different types of texturing um, and then there are implants that we uh, say have a smooth surface and they're essentially a very similar surface and um, to date nobody who has only had a smooth surface implant has ever developed this condition which leads us to believe that it's related to the texturing of the implant 
Um, there are lots of different types of textured implants. And um, again, as far as we know, and I'm, I'm saying as far as we know because we don't have a complete set of data on this, but it appears that perhaps there are different types of implants that have a have different risks, i.e. some are a bit higher and some are a bit lower. Um, but we know that if you have a smooth shell implant, at the moment, current information tells us that um, there is no risk of ALCL. Yeah, but that's really reassuring. And and on that, so, so why should women, uh, well, they should really, and, and I just want you to kind of explain why, but um, women should really do their homework on the type of, um, of the clinic or the surgeon that they choose to have their surgery with, of course. So, so why is that? Like, um, I think uh, lots of people don't, I suppose, um, given a thought to cosmetic surgery before proceeding with a procedure. Um, and I suppose, you know, if you're, by way of analogy, if you're going to go and change your hair colour, um, you know, you can wake up one morning and decide that you want to be blonde when you used to have dark hair. You can change your hair colour and if you don't like it, it's very easy to change it back and you really haven't lost a lot. Um, cosmetic surgery is not like that in any way, shape or form. And I think it's very important that people who are having or considering cosmetic surgery uh, do a lot of research. And a lot of that research really in, involves just thinking about what you're going to do in terms of, if we're talking breast implants, for example, what size do you want to be? You know, what activities do I like doing that? Where, whereby larger breasts might impact on my ability to perform that activity or enjoy doing that activity. Um, I think that that's one of the keys is definitely think about how it's going to actually impact your life. Make sure it is really something that you want to do, um, not something that perhaps your partner suggests that you should have done. Um, that is something that you really want to do yourself. Um, don't rush out and get breast augmentation because you thought about it yesterday, you know, think about it for weeks or months um, until it's, you're hundred percent sure that is what you want to do. And most importantly, if you have reached the decision that you, you know, that you want to proceed and actually have, have an operation, then I think um, you really need them to do some more research and find a reputable uh, plastic surgeon and, um, there are plenty of those around, but more importantly, um, you need to probably get more than one opinion. Um, it's always difficult because when you get more than one opinion, you those those opinions might differ, and that, that can be a source of confusion in itself. But I would get multiple opinions, and um, and then in terms of actually choosing a surgeon, choose a surgeon that listens to you, and um, rather than someone who tries to, to sell you something that's perhaps not exactly what you want. Uh, and, more, and most important, that's honest with you, that tells you, you know, that's an achievable goal or that's not an achievable goal. Yeah. And, and you've got to really have that, um, you know, you've got to have that connection with them as well. Hey, you kind of got to like, yep. And, and people will know anyway. They're like, yep, that's the person that I need to see because... Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you, you need to be able to establish some rapport with, with a surgeon who's going to do your operation. And, you know, that's a little bit difficult given that you might only meet them for half an hour or an hour yeah. you know, on your first meeting. 
Um, but I think, you know, if that's someone that you like, that thinks, uh, that you think understands you, then, then that's a good starting point. Um, I, I suppose, you know, talking from the other side of the desk as a surgeon, um, you know, the, probably the majority of patients that come into the office, you get on well with and you like, and they're the people that you do want to operate on. Um, you know, every now and then someone comes in that maybe they're just, you don't have a good personality match and that you would prefer maybe not to operate on. And I think, you know, as a surgeon, you need to communicate that with the patient. Just go, look, I don't think I'm the person to do your operation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if, as a patient, you might look at the surgeon or talk to them and say, look, they, they say everything and they've told me everything. It all sounds, you know, fine and, and adequate, but I don't really gel with this person. Yep. And, don't, don't have an operation. Same thing. Go, yeah, go, totally. Go see someone else. Totally, totally. So I know, like, not many women generally know what sort of implant they choose. Now, I know that you you use the breast, sorry, the Matiba breast implants uh, for your breast augment for your breast augment patients. I was going to ask you, what's one of or what are the features that you like about the uh, Matiba breast implant range, and 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 why and why. Um, so Motiva breast implants are relatively new in Australia. They've been available for not quite two years now. Um, and Motiva have, uh, rather than copied everybody else's technology, have developed their own technology in terms of manufacture of breast implants. Um, I suppose we were talking previously about anaplastic large cell lymphoma and they've designed an implant that technically has a nanotextured surface, but in terms of how it's classified, it's classified as a smooth shell implant. And what that means is the risk, as far as we know, of getting anaplastic large cell lymphoma with a Motiva implant is zero. Um, so that's a, that's a huge benefit, and it means it's something that really you don't have to think about anymore. Um, other benefits of the Motiva range are the... Um, Basically, you can come down to the way the implant is manufactured and the shell and the, the gel within the implant are basically one, uh, all, all one. Uh, conventional implants have a shell and a, and a filling, whereas this implant is basically all one. Um, and as soon as you feel it, it feels completely different um, to every implant. I see patients in my office and I give them a Motiva implant and I give them a couple of other brand implants and the vast majority of people would choose a Motiva implant based on the way it feels. Um, we do another exercise where we stretch the implant just to demonstrate um, how robust it is and you would be surprised how much you can deform and uh, twist and, and turn the implant and it returns to its original condition and we do that you know, 10 or 15 times a day and have had you know the same implants, and we've been doing that for close to two years, and all those implants are still look like they, they, the day they arrived. So, You're right. very very robust implant. Um, I suppose other technical uh, issues with it is they have a very vast array of sizes and shapes uh, and projections of implant, um, and they essentially have two. Uh, two types in terms of one that they classify as a round implant and the other implant, which is what they call their ergonomics brand, which they 
effectively marketed as an anatomical implant. It technically isn't. Um, it is a round implant, but it behaves um, once it's placed in the body as a, as an anatomical implant. So very broad range, um, excellent construction, all based on um, design and research. And um, I think they're the best implants on the market for oh, awesome. the vast majority of people. Yep. I mean, I don't know much about implants because I'm not really the implant person, but, but I remember when they first came out and I was like, wow, these are going to be a bit of a game changer. You know, I think I was introduced from, I don't know, one or two years ago and I was like, wow, this is just what the industry needed, I reckon, you know, a new next generation implants. So, yeah, I think that's... Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, you know, implants really, people go, this is the third and this is the fourth, this is the fifth generation implant. And in essence, they, they were, there were some subtle differences um, in all those implants over you know, probably the last 20 years. But this is the first implant that's come along, which is out of the box. It just It's completely different. It yeah. has a different construction technique. It is a different construction and it's completely different to other implants. Yeah. And I know that Matiba are really de uh, dedica dedicated to continuous improvement. So they're, they're still, you know, they're still researching and developing, uh, you know, as we go, which is really good because I think the... the Good old implants have been around forever, haven't they? They have. And I think, you know, people probably 10 years ago went, look, there's not much more we can do with implant technology. Yeah. Um, what we have is what we have. And thankfully, there were some people who, who thought otherwise. Um, I haven't been to their research facility, but I've, I've seen some footage of it. And uh, it's quite uh, an impressive facility in Costa Rica. Yeah. And they're researching, you know, all in all spheres of plastic surgery, um, particularly breast implants. And they have quite a few new products on the horizon that I think will will make, you know, cosmetic breast surgery um, safer and better in the future. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. That's so good to hear and so reassuring for the ladies out there, or men, I guess, that are looking to have breast implants. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, so... Um, how does the, like the Mateva Silk Nano Surface is said to help reduce complications with breast implant surgery. How does mm -hmm. that work? How does that work? So um, that's an excellent question and one that um, we understand reasonably well but probably not completely. So um, I mentioned before that the, uh, the texturing on implants varies and um, even though... Motiva implants are technically classified as smooth-shelled implants. They, they are not. If you look at them under a microscope, they have what's called a nano-texturing. Um, and that's quite different to the texturing on what we would consider a textured implant, which is uh, clearly visible with the naked eye. So it, it's the nano-texturing um, and, the, and the shell composition, um, which reduces the risk basically to zero of anaplastic large cell lymphoma. Mm -hmm. It also reduces risk of uh, seroma. There's less tissue reaction. Mm -hmm. um, so people, again, have been, have been trying to develop an implant, both filler and, and the shell of an implant, which minimises tissue reaction. Um, mm -hmm. And this nanotechnology seems to have achieved that. So less tissue reaction. And that means that... The risk of seromas around the implant is much less. The risk of capsular contracture um, is most likely to be significantly less. Um, there's less irritation uh, in the short term to the tissues. 
And I personally think that probably leads to, you know, a, a faster recovery uh, and even possibly, you know, less post-operative pain. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. And um, I was going to also ask you, that with the, the Mativa ergonomics implant, that's the same? Yes. So um, okay. the, the, the two... Uh, Motiva implants available in Australia both have the same shell, so they both have the same nano textured shell, and it's really the shell that interacts with with the body, um, and that interaction is is minimised as as much or as best we can with with the nano texturing. So mm -hmm. it elicits the least tissue uh, inflammatory response, and um, we presume that's why the risk of seroma is less. The risk of capsule contractor is less and, yep. and probably post-operative pain is less as well. Yeah. And it's like anything like if you, I mean, even if that, because I know that they're a little bit more expensive, but the thing is if you, in five years' time, that little bit of extra difference is not going to make any difference. And if you're going to put implants in your body, why wouldn't you put the best that are on the market, really? Yes. I mean, I suppose everyone has a different philosophy on that one. Yeah. But I think um, when it's your health that's at risk, you need to do everything to maximise the chance that you're going to be happy and minimise the risks. And, you know, the, there obviously there are costs associated with, with breast augmentation and, and the cost of the implant is just one of those. Mm -hmm. But really the difference between, you know, the average, for example, textured teardrop-shaped implant and a Motiva implant is not that great. It really isn't. Yeah. You know, it's a very small difference. And yeah. um, you know, if it's your your well being or your safety that's you know that's at risk, then to me, it's crazy not to yeah, choose, I agree. choose the best product and minimise totally. your, your, your risk. Yeah, totally, totally. And I want to ask you just I've only got one like a couple more little quick questions for you because I know you're really busy. But um, uh, Mativa likes to be known that they're uh, the implant for the active woman. So how soon can patients start to exercise? With, once they have Mativa implants? Um, I think everyone approaches that slightly differently. Um, mm -hmm. It depends a little bit on what position we put the implant, whether it's under the muscle or on top of the muscle. Um, I think in terms of when we do this operation, we spend quite a bit of time and effort placing the implant in the exact position um, that we would like it. And we, we would like it to stay in that position. And um, to do that, um, you, basically you need to rest. So I tell all my patients that for the first two weeks, we don't want you doing any what we would call physical exercise. You can be moderately active. You can still have a shower. You can get dressed. You can do your hair. You can pick up your children, uh, all those sorts of activities. Um, but in terms of going back to the gym or activating your, your pec muscles, um, jumping up and down, those are things that could potentially displace the implant um, and we'd prefer it if you didn't do those. So I tell all my patients that for the first two weeks, gentle exercise in terms of you can go for a walk, you could ride a stationary bike, activity where you're not jumping up and down, uh, activity where you're not using your pec muscles is fine in the first two weeks. After two weeks, then you can slowly increase your level of activity and after six weeks, there's no restriction on your ability to do any any exercise. Okay, okay. So it doesn't really take 
that long. I mean, that's not a long time to wait, really. It's it's funny because for the vast majority of people, again, it's not that that long. There are people out there who are addicted to going to the gym, and yeah. for those people, when you say six weeks, they um, that sounds like a very long period of time. True. But the yep. reality is, once you've had the operation and you're a bit uncomfortable, you know, two weeks has passed before you're even really considering doing too much in the way of exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Then you've only really got another four weeks to go, and you're back yeah. into it. Yeah, and the thing is, you have to listen to that to that advice because I have heard and seen situations of women who've had who've gone out and done exercise um, shortly after lifted weights or whatever, and then it's just going to stuff up the job that you had, you've just had done. So you really need to listen to that advice, don't you? Yeah, I think I mean very important. Again, I yeah. suppose similar in a sense to choosing the best implant. It's you know you've you've made a significant investment um, on you know getting breasts that look better and are bigger, and it makes complete sense to follow the instructions. Yeah. And okay, six weeks might seem like a long time, but at the end of six weeks, if all's gone well, your breasts look great, and you can go back to the gym. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. And it was really only six six weeks, you know, out of your exercise life and. Um, you know, that's time well spent. Yeah, totally. Look, I'm going to ask you this, this question here. That this is like, why, why? So, why would you say that women, anyone, any woman thinking about having breast surgery should come and talk to you? Uh, excellent question. I think, uh, and, I, and I suggested or alluded to this before, and that is, um, I think to to get a really good result from breast augmentation, you need to meet a couple of criteria. You need to know what it is that you don't like about your breasts. Um, you need to know what you want your breast to look like. And I think some women know what that is and, and some don't. Um, I would, well, I do spend quite a bit of time uh, reviewing photos of, of people who've had breast augmentation surgery um, uh, with, you know, prospective patients. And that helps them gain the best possible, uh, I suppose, feeling of, of what, uh, I suppose what they want their implants to look like, um, and in terms of the, their breast shape, uh, and also breast volume or breast implant size. And I think that's really, really, really important. And then you you need someone who is going to talk to you. Most importantly, listen to you, uh, work with you, and who hopefully has the same expectations that you do. Yeah. And um, I think, and I tell all my patients this, I said, look, you know, if at the end of this whole consultation process, your expectation is the same as my expectation, then you're going to be a happy patient. And if for some reason, you know, our expectations are not aligned, then there's a potential for, for, for trouble. And, you know, if we identify that as a possibility, then it's, you know, we go back to the drawing board and we start the process again. And I think, you know, you need to choose a surgeon who who can do that with you and work with you as long as it takes. Sometimes it takes two consultations, sometimes it takes five. But again, all that is time well spent. You don't get that time again once you've had your operation and you definitely don't want to have an operation and then think back, oh, I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd gone smaller. I wish I'd gone bigger. Yeah. I wish I had a different surgeon. Uh, yes. all those details yeah. out beforehand and and that takes time and i tell all my patients look, um you're i want you to come back as many times as you need to 
um, until you're happy um, and are 100% committed toward to surgery, then don't 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 book an operation until you're 100% committed. Yeah, and that's so true because you want to go. Uh, I know this is probably a little bit esoteric, but you want to go when you're going under. You want to go under 100% confident in your choice of surgeon, um, your choice of procedure, your choice of process. You just want to close your eyes, knowing that you you know everything is is exactly as you want it to be. Absolutely, I think you know if you're 100% committed to to an operation, then um, Oh, that that's almost a prerequisite, but it also means that you're much likely. We know this. You're much likely to be happier with the outcome. Yeah. And if there are any little hiccups or you know bumps along the way in terms of you know you did get a hematoma or something wasn't quite perfect, you tolerate all those so much better because mm-hmm. you were highly motivated and um, committed to surgery. Whereas if you're going, oh, my friend's getting it, so and I was always thinking about it, I might just get mine done when she does, then you're not 100% committed. Um, you might not really know what you want. You haven't given enough thought and um, you definitely don't tolerate the process in terms of you know, discomfort in recovery. You just don't, you don't recover as well yeah. um, and you don't tolerate any potential complications that might arise anywhere yeah. near as well. Yeah. And so I'm going to finish off for today, but and thank you so much for your time. But I want, like, if there was one piece of advice that you could give um, women who are going to go and have um, surgery, whether it be breast implant or, or, or actually even just breast implant, like what's one takeaway piece of advice that you, you would like people to, to know? Um, I, I'd probably be about size of implant and lots of people come in and they they want the biggest implant that they can get or they want a significant increase in size. And I tell everyone, implants will do two things for you. They will definitely make you bigger. That's that's clear to most people. But they will also improve your breast shape. And as the size of the implant goes up, your breast shape gets better and better to a point. And after which, the, the shape of your breast probably deteriorates. It just becomes rounder and, and less breast-like. Unfortunately, also the, compli- the risks and the complications go up at about that same point. So I tell people when people say, look, what size implant shall I choose? I just go, look, choose the smallest implant that's going to make you happy because implants, um, they do have risks, they do have complications. And we know for a fact that all those risks are lower, the smaller the implant. Mm-hmm. And in addition, your breast shape will be better if you don't go too big. So I accept that lots of people want to be big and that's their primary motivation. But I suppose my advice is don't lose, don't lose um, sight of shape. Shape of breast is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, can I sneak one more question in? So say, for example, you're saying about you use the smallest um, implant that you can, it's going to make you happy. So yes. could someone like in their 50s or 60s or whatever just say, okay, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to have to ha- replace my implants every so often. Like, could they have those implants in and just think, oh, well, that's it, that would last me the rest of my life or not necessarily? I mean, I suppose that's a really broad question, but is it possible? Um, that's an excellent question because I suppose that that kind of leads into how long do breast implants last? And there's, that's again, difficult question to answer quickly, but Motiva implants, for example, lifetime. Company provides them with a lifetime guarantee. 
Now, what does that really mean? To me, that means that the company has a lot of faith in their implant. Um, does anything last forever? I think probably it doesn't, but it means they're probably going to last for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, I think, you know, if you choose an implant that's not too big for your body, um, that's not going to have uh, deleterious effects, you know, on your breast tissue, then um, it wouldn't be unreasonable to expect that maybe in 20 or 30 years, um, the implant will be fine, your breast shape will be fine, and you'll be happy with the result. Wow. That's amazing. I had no idea that they actually came with a guarantee, so I'm really glad I asked that question. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. That's been a real eye-opener. There was, there was stuff in there that I had no idea about, and um, it's great to share that information with ladies that are looking at having um, breast implant surgery. So thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. No worries. And ladies, so if you're looking for a plastic surgeon um, in the Brisbane area or actually anywhere around Australia because people will travel these days and you'd like to go and see Dr. Bra uh, Andrew Broadhurst, as I said, he's in Newstead in Queensland. You can just um, Google him at Enhanced Plastic Surgery or you can drop us an email to info at plasticsurgeryhub.com.au. So thanks very much, Dr. Broadhurst. Pleasure. Pleasure no talking worries. to you. You too. Bye. Th thank you. Bye. The Plastic Surgery Hub podcast, connecting people with practitioners. For more information, visit plasticsurgeryhub.com.au or email info at plasticsurgeryhub.com.au. The material provided in this podcast is general information and does not constitute medical advice, nor is it a substitute for consultation and advice from your own practitioner. It should not be used to diagnose or treat any medical illness. Any medical or surgical decision should be made in consultation with your own doctor or practitioner and not based on the materials provided in this podcast.